Welcome to Target Cancer, a podcast about how health technology is affecting lives and changing the world for patients and oncologists. Dr. Mafoye, there you are. Hey, can you, can you hey. hear me now? Yes, I hear you loud and clear. So, yeah, I heard um, about that earlier. You know, no worries. I'm actually, um, it's Halloween, right? So the kids are out trick-or-treating. Um, right. I, I have a nine-year-old daughter and she's very excited. I, she's now she's going to be really mad at me because I've forgotten her costume to scratch my head. You get in trouble yeah. for that one, but I'm um, wonderful. So um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we were just doing some interviews and with some cancer patients. And so a big part of um, what my company X does is really two things. Um, number one, we help um, cancer patients aggregate, organize, and consolidate their medical records. So uh, we are able to go cross-provider system, multiple providers, multiple EMRs, and then extract that data and produce essentially a, uh, a relevant for care cancer journey or a summary that the patient can use when moving from one encounter, because often patients have multiple providers, yeah, right, right, in different systems, um, probably very similar to the type of data that you would experience being presented at a tumor board, for instance, yeah. right, a just case summary. Right. Um, and then the other thing we do uh, as a company is we synthesize uh, the medical literature and clinical trials and treatment options, and we generate and try to prioritize treatment options um, for patients. And we know, and this is for advanced patients, so exhausted standard of care, beyond standard right. of care, or very poor prognosis, which you know uh, from the brain cancer space is, is often the case. And the objective is like, we don't have any magic answer, right, for anyone as you know, but just really to try to prioritize things that are worthy of consideration and just, help with some of the legwork um, mm -hmm. underneath. Yeah, so the, yeah, the, the purpose of the show is to talk with patients and then also to talk with physicians and to understand kind of two things. Number one, what are some lessons? Um, what are the new technologies out there? What are the things that we can learn about? And then try to share that knowledge because um, I always tell people um, most Normal people don't know anything about cancer. The only people who really think about cancer are people who work in cancer, right, where it's part of your job, or people who have cancer. And then when people find out that they have cancer, which I know you've been with uh, patients going through this, they suddenly have to go up this incredible learning curve, right? right? And Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're just trying to address that fundamentally through information, education, um, uh, and and opportunities like that. So um, that's what I do. Maybe we right. could start with an introduction to you. Tell us about your practice and then kind of yeah. the types of things you do um, so that the audience understands uh, where you're coming from. Right. So I'm a, a neurosurgeon and uh, specifically a neurosurgical oncologist, uh, meaning, you know, after you know, seven years of neurosurgery training, uh, I've you know, spent additional time uh, doing a fellowship in neurosurgical oncology. So uh, that just means being able to focus specifically on brain tumors, as well as uh, tumors in the spine. So I um, completed my residency at University of California in Davis and just finished my fellowship at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles. And I spent that year uh, just focusing on learning how to, to treat patients with brain tumors, uh, mostly and a little bit of spine tumors as well. So currently I'm in South Carolina in the Myrtle Beach area, uh, okay. Thailand's Health, and I'm building a brain tumor practice uh, there. So uh, you know, treating patients with, you know, all kinds of tumors in the brain, benign, malignant, as well as doing some spine cases and other 
pathologies in the in the brain. Yeah. So when does a patient come to you? Like when would a yeah. patient in their journey kind of uh, appear in your practice? Like what's what's the right time? Right. So most of my patients, uh, uh, I get as referrals from uh, either neurologists or from you know primary care doctors, from emergency department to patients who have uh, had some kind of symptoms that have caused them to present to neurologists. Most commonly, it's you know headaches or you know weakness on one side, tingling, numbness. Seizures is a common uh, complaint uh, for patients with you know, brain tumors. And, and then usually after you have those symptoms, you present either to your primary care doctor, to a neurologist, to the emergency department. They do a scan, um, you know, typically start with a CT scan and they get an MRI scan of the brain and they've seen a lesion and that needs surgery. And that's usually at that point where I'm having that surgical discussion with the patient on, you know, what the next steps will be, if it's going to be a biopsy for something that's you know not resectable, uh, but if it's a lesion that's in an area of the brain that we can safely resect it without you know causing uh, any significant deficits, then um, I will counsel the patient on that and take the patient to surgery. Got it. So I, I, I've always heard, and I, I'm not a physician, so if I correct me, please, if I, I, I say anything wrong, but the gold standard is resection, right? Is like if there's something in there, we want to take it out. Um, yeah. So is that kind of the, like, what are the, someone shows up, what, what is the kind of steps that you think about as you go through, like, and what should a patient realize, like, when they're seeing someone like you, like, this is what you're trying to figure out, like, what's the process right. on your end? Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct that the first step is, um, you know, figuring out whether this is a lesion or a tumor that can be resected and resected safely. So that's usually the first step. So, you know, typically when I see the patient in clinic, I kind of want to get their background, get their history, know what medications they're on, all the medical problems, do a physical exam, and then I will review their uh, MRI with them and say, this is what your tumor looks like, this is what part of the brain it's in, what are um, the areas uh, that's going to affect uh, or it's affecting currently, and if we do a surgery, this is what kind of complications we would expect to, to get, discuss that risk-benefit analysis with them, and then uh, it's really up to the patient to decide whether surgery is something they want to do. But based on the data that we have, I, I explained to the patient that typically, you know, these are the options, is either doing nothing, um, you know, chemotherapy, radiation, uh, surgery, or palliative care. Um, uh, some people, you know, choose to uh, pursue that if that aligns with their wishes. Uh, a more important discussion is if it's a tumor that's you know, it may be resectable, but there's a high likelihood of having a, a deficit. And I have to discuss with the patient, uh, particularly for glioblastoma patients, because some patients may say, you know, if it's this is going to prolong my life, but I'm going to be paralyzed on one side, I'm okay with that as long as, you know, I've had, you know, patients um, and, and their husbands say, okay, I can push you around in a wheelchair, but, you know, you can still do things uh, in that sense. But I've had other patients who, uh, what's most important to them is their independent and, and they don't want to have any kind of deficits. They, they, they want to be able to walk and, you know, they, they can say, okay, in that case, just I would prefer to resect what can be resected safely without any kind of deficits. So that's the kind of discussion you want to have with the patient. And once you have, do the resection, you have a diagnosis, then there's a multidisciplinary um, process that happens with medical oncology for, you know, chemotherapy, radiation oncology, radiation, and then other kind of, um, you know, adjunct for treatment uh, that are available to patients. So what's important for a patient coming in to that meeting with you? What, what, how should they prepare? Like if, if I was going to come and see you, it's going to be my first visit. So I've had a scan, we've seen 
there's a tumor uh, in the scan or, or some something that uh, needs to be evaluated. What should I be thinking about before my visit with you? Yeah, I would say the most common you know, issues we, we get, uh, you know, patients show up and they don't have the imaging. If it's a patient that's coming from an outside hospital, for example, that's not in, in my system, and I don't have access to the MRI. Uh, so that's usually you know, difficult to be able to counsel the patient without physically looking at the image. And sometimes we get the reports of the scan and you know, I'm able to read, okay, this is what the MRI shows, but I physically have to be able to look at it. So I think the first step is making sure they have a, you know, a CD with that image in with them uh, to bring with them to that appointment. And then um, you know, reading about it is always helpful. Uh, I've had you know, patients who've done extensive research uh, regarding, you know what their diagnosis uh, is, if they have a previous, you know, diagnosis that, that's already known or that someone just told them, hey, we think this looks like, you know, a glioblastoma, for example, and patients will go online uh, to do research or to learn about that and come with questions. I think that's the, the most important thing is to be able to answer the patient's questions to make sure they have a full understanding of what the disease is like, what the you know, options are, uh, what, you know, the prognosis may be. And so patients who come in with questions, I feel like tend to uh, leave with a little bit more better understanding. So, but, so but be prepared. So be prepared yeah. with the questions. A right. Any any particular source where you recommend patients go to learn about, uh, in particular, like what what are the good sources of information for patients? What from your perspective? Yeah, yeah. There, there's several uh, uh, websites that you can you can go through. I think the NIH uh, website. If you you know search for anything and put NIH, you know, next to it, glioblastoma, NIH. NIH has a lot. That's national. Institute of Health has a lot of uh, publications uh, or resources online, and there are specific, um, you know, advocacy groups for for brain tumor. For example, um, you know, there, you know, national brain tumor uh, organizations uh, uh, that tend to put out uh, some resources out there. Uh, but just making sure you're you're not just going on a forum or, or Facebook or social media. There's a lot of you know information that's not uh, accurate uh, that's that's put up there, and patients have a variety of experiences. And, um, you know, some people uh, you know, put their experiences out there on social media and, and, and it may not be the same uh, experience that someone else would have. So going to um, resources that actually have specific organizations behind that publication is, is helpful. So it's important to have good, solid, evidence-backed research, right, and to use those right. sources. Um, and though I assume social media and these things are also, uh, there's a, uh, I call it, socio-emotional component rights actually supporting patients as well. Yes. Um, so as patients come to you and they're going through the process, um, the you either have a diagnosis or you don't, if I understand it correctly, maybe but there's something going on, but then you're either going to try to remove the tumor um, or remove the tumor and do a biopsy of whatever you remove, or perhaps just do a biopsy. And, and where does that lead? Kind of what are the next steps kind of then as you move through that? Part of the yeah. yeah, so, you know, the first step, you know, like you said, is figuring out whether you want to do a biopsy or, or a resection. You know, like we said earlier, doing a gross total resection is always the best uh, option for patient because you're getting all the physical, you know, tumor that you can see out and that, you know, has been shown to increase uh, survival uh, if you can get a gross total resection uh, and prognosis as well. Uh, if it's in a difficult location, like a tumor in the brainstem, for example, that's a very tough location to yeah. uh, to access without causing, you know, uh, significant, you know, deficits uh, for patients, then we do a biopsy. And usually uh, after that's done, 
you know, if you do a resection, all a biopsy, all of that specimen that you get goes to pathology. And then what the pathologist uh, will do is look at it under the microscope, figure out what kind of cells it is to come up with a final uh, pathological diagnosis. And then there are now a lot of uh, genetic, um, you know, uh, data that can be mined from those tissue specimens and a lot of molecular uh, diagnosis that can be made from those specimens. And those give us a little bit more information in terms of, you know, how the tumor is going to respond to chemotherapy, um, or the prognosis of survival is going to be based on those data. And that usually takes about, uh, depending on the institution, anywhere from one week to two weeks. Um, okay. Sometimes a little bit longer to get that those results back. So typically, you know, after surgery is done, when I see the patient back in clinic, about two weeks uh, to take a look at their wound and the incision to make sure that looks okay. Then I have that discussion with the patient that this is what uh, your pathology shows. And at that point is when they get referred to a medical oncologist or a hematologist oncologist who would then administer chemotherapy and if it's something like a glioblastoma then you do a concurrent chemotherapy and radiation at the same time got it so you work in partnership then with the medical oncologist and i assume a radiation oncologist right if it's the Correct. and so you guys kind of form a care team or a, a team of doctors who are now working on this case together exactly exactly and yeah and it's important all of those team members kind of keep in touch because uh, you know I still want to follow up the patient to see how they're doing because uh, you know, for some tumors like glioblastoma, there's a high recurrence rate, so the tumor can come back even mm -hmm. you know, after chemo and radiation, and they may need to have another resection. We may need to try other chemotherapy regimen, and there are new, newer you know uh, ways of treating tumors like uh, tumor-treated fields, uh, which uses electrical field uh, mm -hmm. to prevent um, cells from dividing and to reduce the rate of uh, the tumor growing. And so we can start to kind of incorporate those newer adjuncts if uh, treatment has failed chemo and radiation. Yeah, you're, you're, this is a great topic. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. So um, brain cancer is a, a very difficult diagnosis, right? I think for most patients, number one, it's uh, a difficult disease. And if it's any of the, we'll call it more aggressive or malignant types of brain cancer, the prognosis is often um, difficult, right, um, yes. at best. But we've been actually making some advances in the field, is my understanding, that haven't happened for quite some time. So as a doctor, what are you excited about, both from your own practice surgically, but then tell us a little bit about uh, other things. So let's start maybe with what's going on in surgery and new surgical techniques and, and, and technology, but then also what do you see going on with your other partners kind of on the care team in radiology and, and medical oncology? Yeah, so from a surgery standpoint, I think uh, what's you know really driving um, the uh, way we do surgery currently is, is technology. Um, and you know every year there's a new advancement with technology in the way we do surgery. Uh, you know the way uh, I learned to do surgery is very different from the way the you know attendant physicians that taught me during residency did surgery, and that's because of the impact of technology. So with surgical resection. Uh, nowadays, we can be very focused uh, with, the, with the surgery we need to do. There's an imaging navigation system. There are actually a couple imaging navigation systems that helps us during surgery to specifically localize where the tumor is in the brain. And so um, what you do is the preoperative MRI that the patient gets uh, before surgery. While the patient is in surgery, we can um, register that to the patient's skull, for example. So if a lesion is uh, like this part in the brain, we register the skull to the MRI, so when we put a probe on the skull, we can say, see exactly on the MRI, okay, this is where I am. And that helps guide the resection. And so let me, 
let me make sure I follow that. So you you do the MRI, you build a picture, right, of what's going on in right. the brain, and then the patient's in the surgical suite, right, and you're going to do the surgery, and you overlay that like it's like an augmented reality sort of thing? Well, you- there is that too. There is that too. So the first step is, um, so there's a machine that the MRI, we put that MRI into the machine, and we see a script. Mm-hmm. And then while the patient is asleep, uh, we can use a probe to, to point uh, so basically the way it works is you put a probe on the, on the skull, you kind of drag it all the way around, and that those points that you drag is registered to the MRI. And so it sort of creates a map of the skull. And as oh, you're cool. looking at the MRI uh, and you put the probe on the skull after the registration is done, you see on the MRI, that probe shows up on the MRI, okay, this is where you are. And so that's called imaging and you know, navigation system. And that helps, so while you're in the surgery, uh, that helps you uh, know where you are. So with the augmented reality that you're talking about, that's a newer technology as well. And, and where I am at Titans Health, um, you know, we have a newer microscope that has the ability to interface with the navigation system. So as I'm operating on the brain, I'm looking through a microscope um, to look at the brain because that magnifies the, the field. You can see smaller blood vessels to avoid it. And then while you're looking, you can see picture in picture the patient's MRI scan. And sometimes you can actually see an overlay, an outlay. So on the MRI, on the navigation system, I can color the tumor and say, I'm going to color the tumor red. And so as mm-hmm. I'm looking through the microscope, I see an overlay of that tumor. And that helps with uh, like low-grade gliomas, for example, like the type of you know a tumor that grows from the brain that's not very distinct from the brain. Uh, and so while you're operating, sometimes it's difficult to tell where is brain, where is tumor. And so if you have a, this overlay, that helps you know the boundaries of where you're supposed to limit your resection to. So that's a newer technology that we use now. And you're trying to be as accurate as possible, right? Like you right. want to get the tumor out, but only the tumor and and only the minimum. It's kind of maximize getting the tumor out, but minimize getting and touching anything else essentially right. in the brain. Right, that, right. You want to maximize uh, the resection and minimize any kind of any kind of deficits. And um, you know, one additional technology that I learned during uh, fellowship just this past year that I've now brought to my practice currently is, uh, is a system that we are able to do biopsy with just a pinpoint hole, a hole about you know three millimeters. Um, and that's a newer technology that just came on the field in the last couple of years. And uh, we're actually the first place in South Carolina to be able to do this. Use and it's a cranial robotic system, and. Okay. Uh, before, we will have to drill the size of about a dime in the skull to be able to do a biopsy. And now we just drilled about a three millimeter hole. The robot you know, comes in, it's a robotic arm, and then lines up your entry point uh, to its target point in the brain. And so it sort of you know, lines up that trajectory for you. And once that's done, all you do is put a needle in through that trajectory to, to do your biopsy. So patient can recover faster, they can go quicker, there's less blood loss with the surgery. And this is all you know, due to technological you know, advancement in the uh, last few years. Cool. So you're cutting a much smaller hole, right? right. And you're getting uh, a really clear view of exactly where you want to get the sample out of, out of it for the biopsy. And I assume you're planning like the right. angle that you need to go in, right? Yeah. So before we, you, you would have to kind of plan it, you plan it out ahead of time, but you have you know, a series of arms that you kind of have to move to line up the directory correctly. And nowadays, the robot just does all that for you. So you, before the surgery, you, you pinpoint the entry point, your target point, and the robot lines it up. And then you use the um, 
the device to uh, to do the biopsy and so and while you're doing the biopsy you can look on the mri to see as you're going through you know exactly where you are but the most of the work is done with the pre-planning to make sure you're avoiding any blood vessels uh, you know that can you know cause any kind of deficits uh, with the biopsy so it sounds like surgery is advancing it sounds like you're opening a really cutting edge or you've started this cutting edge practice there um any comments on other other types of um yeah advances yeah so for, for glioblastoma um, specifically, which is, you know, sort of the worst offender in terms of brain tumors and uh, prognosis have been poor, uh, the, there hasn't really been a lot uh, that has changed in, in, the, in the past two decades. The current treatment regimen with, you know, chemotherapy and, and radiation, uh, it's called the STUP protocol, and that, mm -hmm. you know, came up about in 2005, so almost 20 years ago is when this protocol came out, and that's what we still do today. Um, but tumor treater fields, which I mentioned earlier, it's something that's that's new on the market in the last five years, uh, which is kind of exciting because the data, you know, has shown that patients who do that uh, tend to have a, a better prognosis uh, than just doing chemo and radiation yeah. alone. There and I've are, heard about this, right? This is like a, a hel is it like a helmet you wear that has tumor fields? I think it's. Uh, it's the, sort of like uh, if you have an EKG done and where they put leads on your chest, it's similar yeah. to that, but it's arrays that they put all around uh, the skull. And, and what it does is, um, you know, unfortunately, the downside to this is patients have to shave their head for this uh, just okay. because, you know, as the hair grows, it pushes the arrays out and, and that limits uh, how much electrical field um, in the brain gets. But basically, you shave your head, put all those leads all around the head like you're doing an EEG. Uh, for example, and, and there's, it's hooked up to a battery device and it constantly simulates electrical fields. And so what the electrical fields, it comes from sort of two different directions and that messes up the way cells are able to divide, um, you know, which is mitosis, okay. if you remember from yep. biology. And yes. it specifically it targets tumor cells uh, based on the frequency uh, of those cells. And, um, you know, it messes up that cell division and, uh, and the tumor is, we're able to slow down the growth of the tumor using that technology, but patients do have to wear it about you know seventy five percent of the time. And are, are there a lot of like clinical trials, clinical research that's yeah. also going on? Yeah. yeah. So in addition to that, uh, the most exciting areas right now is you know immunotherapy, uh, as, well, as well as you know precision medicine and sort of big data, sort of three big areas. Uh, so with immunotherapy, you're, we're trying to use um, you know the patient's immune system to fight a GBM. So, you know, the way that works is after the tumor is resected, you know, cells from those tumor, we can kind of lyse it, sort of break it apart, and then inject those cells back into the patient in the form of a vaccine. And so we're kind of revving up the patient's immune system uh, to target those cells. And so you're that, making a vaccine from the patient's own cells, essentially. Correct. Right. Exactly, from the patient's tumor cells. Uh, but, you know, it's lysed in a way that's not harmful to the patient. The vaccine is administered, um, you know, after the resection is done, and it's supposed to rev up the immune system to attack those tumor cells and attack what kind of residual cells there is. So that has been going on for the last, you know, few years, and there's been several uh, iterations of, you know, um, uh, some places called dendritic cell vaccines, other type of mm -hmm. vaccines, but it hasn't really moved the needle much uh, in terms of fighting glioblastoma, but it's, it's an ongoing area of research. Um, the other aspect of that is in terms of precision medicine, being able to do a series of tests based on the patient's uh, specific type of tumor and looking at different markers, um, different molecular genetic subtypes, and the different medications that we can target to that. And so if you can imagine for, for each single patient, if you can figure out all the genotype of that patient's tumor, 
come up with a series of chemotherapy regimen to target that. So that, that's one area. And the other area is kind of big data. If you have a collection of, you know, every single patient with a glioblastoma in, in the country, and we can look at mm-hmm. all of their tumors and look at all the different type of regimen we have and be able to match up those types, um, you know, uh, to each individual type and figure out what the best treatment is. Right. And it's also an area that, that that's exciting. And, and I yeah, think- well, I'm very excited about the last one. That's what my, yeah. my company's actually, frankly, been working on. We've collected, right. I think, uh, currently an observational registry of over 500 brain cancer patients. I think uh, GBM represents 200 plus of those patients along mm-hmm. with that, which doesn't right. sound like a lot, but it's actually a lot, right? There's yeah. not that many. I mean, thankfully, right. brain cancer is actually quite rare. rare. Right. Cancers, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah uh, absolutely. Out there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on board. It sounds like you've got a really exciting practice you've started, and um, thank yeah, thank you for sharing. And and you know, patients and all of us get a huge amount of value from uh, people like you helping us to understand, right, and to really appreciate this. So, um, thank yeah, you again for coming on the show having, with us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like yeah wonderful. What you're doing as well, uh, being able to you know consolidate patients' information into uh, one solid. Mm-hmm space and carry that to different kind of providers that well, that's exciting we're going to present at snow coming up so i'm going to make sure that i send you our 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 first posters and would love you know your opinion and collaboration i think that helping everybody collaborate particularly in the air area of brain cancer um has been certainly a thing we've worked on over the last three years so yeah that's awesome um, wonderful all right thank you doctor thank you thank really you appreciate me. it of course the rest of the day. yeah you too